Hello and welcome back to Resist Extremism, the show that covers everything politically extreme and more. This show talks about extremist groups, tactics, goals, and purposes to educate our audience and country about the fast-growing agendas. This show is sponsored by Illinois Political Reporter and Tantal Records. I am the host, Bonnie Krauske, an Illinois journalist, social media influencer, and survivor of radicalized extremists and domestic terrorism. Today, we're discussing issues with law enforcement in regards to domestic terrorism, radicalized extremism, and hate groups like anti-government and other hate groups uh, such as anti-BLM, anti-LGBTQ, anti-Semitic, and the laws that they struggle with and how they deal with victims. So today I have a guest. Uh, Our guest today is Russ Farnsworth. He's a well-read, well-informed intellectual, world traveler, and inventor and champion of democracy and justice. Russ, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. so I think you just did a a fine job. Um, Police brutality as an issue has been a big um, direction in my life for quite a while. And it's just something that's so destructive in our society that we really can't allow it to continue. So I was very excited to be a part of this podcast and try to share some of my ideas to try to help overcome some of the injustices that we've been seeing. Thank you, Russ. I'm glad you can join us as well. I know my experience uh, being a survivor of the new radicalized extremist movements as a reporter, uh, a Jewish reporter, have been um, uh, interesting. I find that local law enforcement Uh, is not equipped with understanding or wanting to uh, prosecute people for different laws, like they pick and choose what laws. So, you know, I um, uh, openly, like a month ago, went to one of my city board meetings uh, to talk to our mayor and elected officials. And, you know, I said, you know, if it isn't, say, a traffic stop or, you know, a, a theft at a local retail store, they don't seem to be willing to do anything uh, about these other situations. So, uh, you know, I thought that this would be a good topic for us to talk about today and, and uh, find some of your expertise to pull out on this. So if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you some questions. Sure. All right. Can you tell us a bit about your most recent experience with law enforcement and what kind of behavior should people watch out for if they think they may be in interactions with a bad law enforcement actor? Yeah, I um, attempted to move up to a very small town in Northern California and uh, I've faced a lot of, you know, racism and and uh, just threats, violence. I had my home burned down. It was just all kinds of crazy stuff with these people trying to get me to move away. Um and law enforcement was involved with it to a degree, at least, uh, you know, I called sheriffs trying to enforce our easements, which allow us to pass through the properties of other neighbors. And rather than enforce our easements, they told us that they didn't believe that we owned our property anymore and that I would be arrested if I went to my own property. So, <clears throat> yeah, that was um, that was the the most recent experience. And it's been ongoing with the sheriff's department there uh, for about the past five years. And one of the neighbors that I've been having a dispute with pulled a gun on me, threatened to kill me. And um, I tried to report that to the sheriff's and they wouldn't even return my phone calls. So it's that kind of a thing too, you know, that 
if they don't don't care about you or or they've got something against you they just will fail to do the things that they're supposed to do um and and won't do their job if if it's going to help you um as far as some of the things that you need to watch out for i know that in my situation pretty much all the law enforcement that i dealt with were very nice about everything even when they were breaking the law and doing things that they shouldn't have been doing and sometimes that can really be a way of baiting people into trying to push back. They say, oh, this nice cop, you know, I can raise my voice and start showing how angry I am about what's happening. But if you do that, then they can always use that as an excuse to escalate things. And so you definitely want to try to avoid doing that. If a police officer, you know, maybe acting nice, but they're giving you illegal commands, um, you know, you, you can't really allow them to find an excuse to escalate that because I believe that that's what many of them do want. I know um, there are, because uh, I report out in Illinois, there are two organizations that are actively recruiting sheriffs and police officers to join the radicalized extremist movement. And uh, they're building speed and they advertise that that is their angle. And so when people uh, want to say file uh, a hate attack of any kind. Um, we're not sure we're really getting an officer that doesn't agree with the attacker. And that is where I think some of the problems are lying right now. I know it did in my case. I went uh, two and a half years, over 30 reports, everything from uh, corporate espionage in my companies to extortion, uh, stalking, cyber stalking, threats, and so much more. And in the end, when I had requested my files, uh, my documents from the police department, I had found that they had done nothing but put my complaints in files. Uh, there was no follow-up. There was no uh, even detective work looking into these situations. So that, that threw me a little bit. And I just wondered, when somebody calls in on a hate attack, are they even responding? You know, how are they treating the victim versus, you know, anybody else? Um, yeah. So how can we get law enforcement to go along with any major reforms? And what do you think that would cost to implement those reforms? Well, I think that we're, I mean, every generation has a new opportunity to try to change things and make change within their communities. And so we now have an opportunity to reform police and we can work with law enforcement to make these reforms. A lot of law enforcement officers are good people. Um, a lot of them do oppose some of the things that are happening and the fact that some of their you know, fellow officers are not um, treating people fairly. And so there is going to be some support within law enforcement. And if we allow them to suggest changes that they would like to see, then that will bring them into the conversation. So it's not just a big, um, you know, the, the the community holding a big paddle to spank the police with and try to force them into compliance with what we want, but a conversation about how law enforcement and the public both get to make some improvements in how things are going. What and so that, go ahead. I was going to say, what changes to police training do you think would make a difference? Well... <laughs> I think a big one would be to teach, um, you know, different race relations 
to police. I don't think that there's any of that going on at all. And you have people who grow up in one community. Um, they're familiar with people who are just like them and people who are a little different. They may not really understand some of the things that they do or why they do it. I think um, <clears throat> a good example would be is if, you know, you're, if you're a police officer and you don't know very much about Hispanic people, you might see a car full of Hispanic people and think, oh, maybe that's a gang and they're on their way to commit a crime. <clears throat> when in reality, a lot of Hispanic people send money back to their home countries to help their families and they cut corners or try to cut expenses wherever they can. And so they do carpool together. They live together a lot of times in, in large numbers. And so if we were to train these things, you know, those types of things, then when police see something that uh, they think might be a little unusual, they'll realize that, well, this is just a, you know, normal thing that this community of people does. And that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're up to anything, you know, nefarious with that. So I believe that training on race relations would make a big improvement. Um, and it's not all just training. I think that also we need to change how we select people. Obviously, we're somehow selecting the wrong people. Um, and not all the time, but but bad actors get in. And so some reform there, I think, would also help a lot. And as far as how much it's going to cost to implement these reforms, you know, I'm really not sure. I, I uh, haven't priced out any of my ideas, but it's, you know, the community has to kind of come up with how they want to address things and then look at the cost of it. And we really aren't going to know uh, until we do that. But uh, if we can tackle this problem and reduce or hopefully eliminate all of, you know, the issues of police brutality, um, and discrimination, that will save every community millions of dollars a year because we end up paying uh, settlements to people who have been wronged by the police or their families if they've been killed by the police. Right. And I, I, th I think the largest settlement I've seen was $18 million. So we're not talking about chump change here. We're talking about huge sums of money. Um, all that would get refunded back into taxpayers' pockets and would allow us a great deal of money to do the reforms that we need. Um, how can we get law enforcement personnel to actually acknowledge and correct their biases when they don't even probably realize that they have innate racial biases? Yeah, I think it, studies have shown and different tests have shown that pretty much everybody has racial biases. You know, even a lot of black people are racist against other black people. And there are tests that kind of show this. And so I think that if you bring in uh, rookie officers and have them take these tests, then they'll be confronted with this data that shows, yeah, you know, you pulled the trigger three times faster for a black person than you did for a white person, or you pulled the trigger on a on a minority that didn't deserve it, you know, when you held off on pulling the trigger against a white person who was, you know, committing a crime or, or, or um, about to harm someone else. And so these kinds of tests that they do, I think would make a, a good impression on new police officers, get them to acknowledge their biases and then hopefully work on those. And these testing, this kind of testing should be done throughout their career. And hopefully we see that uh, their biases are reduced over time instead of, instead of um, getting worse. 
Do you think there'll ever be a day that we see law enforcement having to be held accountable? For example, maybe they get ri get written up for the first incident of um, uh, racial profiling, and maybe the second time they lose their their career, or they have to attend training. And then, can we really change them? Uh, hmm. I think we can. I mean, I definitely like to stay positive and optimistic about all of these things because if we have a defeatist attitude, then that's certainly going to we're going to defeat ourselves before we even try um and like i say i think there is a lot of positive data to look at i do believe that most law enforcement personnel are good people um and so i think that we're going to have support from within departments as well as from within the community one thing i do want to bring up really quickly is the fact that a lot of people will deny that there is any racial biases in policing and they might point to statistics that show that more white people are killed by police than black people. But uh, to understand the issue, you, you've really got to drill down into who is being killed by police, who is innocent of a crime and unarmed when they're killed. And when you look at those, and, and it's hard to find this data, it's, you know, journalists like you have to work hard to dig up these facts because the government just doesn't keep track of them. They want to conceal all of this and just not pay attention to it. Um, so the data is is hard to come by, but if you really get down into who's not committing a crime and not armed, but is still killed by the police, then you see a very different picture about what's happening. And that really does show a racial bias. I know on the local levels, uh, city mayors tend to run the police stations. And we have elected officials across the United States running police stations and police chiefs, and some of them are even elected officials. And so if there's a movement to indoctrinate sheriffs, police chiefs, and other elected officials to join the white nationalist movement and the uh, radicalized extremism movement on the right, how do you think they're going to run their departments? And will they be even willing to to put in a training program for this? Or is this something that they're hoping to just push away? Yeah, well, they definitely definitely will resist it. I think that law enforcement resists any kind of change to their departments in general. Um, so it's, it is gonna be tough, but it's work that does need to be done. And when you really wrap your head around how destructive it is, you know, some guy gets thrown in jail for a crime he doesn't commit. The person who did commit that crime goes free and continues to commit crime. And then the person who was innocent maybe loses their job, they can't support their family. And then that causes a whole host of other problems. And so this issue is so enormous and so vast that we just can't let it roll on the way it has been. We have to stop it and we have to fix it. I believe we can do much better. Um, and I think we can hold people accountable. Uh, a lot of people, <laughs> you know, when they get caught being, you know, part of a racist group and they're in a position of power, uh, a lot of times that does come to light and, you know, hopefully they will lose their jobs or at a bare minimum, you know, be forced to accept changes that they don't want to accept within their agencies. Well, and I know you're not alone. I know a lot of uh, people are dealing with white nationalist neighbors uh, who are upset just for them moving in the neighborhood or making changes to their homes and they terrorize them. 
Uh, and and that's a, a consistent problem. And is that going to get, in your opinion, much worse when we start going through this new election period and the white nationalists rise up to to throw their candidates names and, and you know, their attacks? Yeah, you bring up a great point. And I think it probably is going to get worse as the election nears. A lot of people, every election that rolls rolls through, they believe it's kind of the end of the world if one candidate doesn't make it in or the other does. Um, so I think people can expect that it is going to get worse. And I would, I, you know, I talk a lot about politics of, of all the dis, the topics I discuss on podcasts. Politics is usually, you know, the most, uh, the most uh, common topic that I discuss. And I try to get people not to look in, to view politics through this prism of left or right or you know the two different parties because to me both parties are failing and neither one should be supported and that we the people collectively need to raise our voice and demand a political agenda that serves our interest right now we don't have that mm-hmm. we have political agendas that serve the interests of the politicians and the, the people that they you know that donate to their campaigns right. And so we have need to do a, a major rethink, and that that starts with us. So that's in you know completely possible is to spread those ideas, like you know stop stop supporting this party. That yeah, maybe they're doing some things that you like, but they're kind of stealing from you on the back end, and and we can't allow that. So we have to start holding our politicians accountable. We have to start changing the way we view. Um, our politics and not be so wedded to one ideology, but, you know, try to demand changes that are going to affect all people. If you voting is a big, big issue about politics. And, you know, if we can't hold our politicians accountable, then we really can't force them to do the things that we want them to do. And there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's desire on both sides to try to limit who can vote or how they vote. And all of that stuff is disempowering your fellow American. And I I would love people to really start seeing things in those terms. We want to empower our fellow American, even if they have different ideas than you do. If you empower them, they can hold their politicians responsible. They can get them out of office when they need to be. And then we won't have these entrenched politicians that are corrupt and running things forever and ever. Right. And I do agree if if the elected officials and the police officers are not utilizing the laws that are given to them to stop these behaviors and they're not doing anything about it and they're being complacent, it's only going to escalate in those communities. It's just going to get worse and worse. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, you're you're an expert on this. Tell us uh, what suggestions you have for dealing with hate and discrimination uh, by citizens who are not law enforcement. How do we deal with this well, new age? Well, I've noticed myself get into a couple of situations that made me really kind of think about that. Um, and before I jump to that, I just want to say about mayors is go to them if if you have any complaints about law enforcement or suggestions, because a lot of times mayors will be concerned about it. Um, mayors, they're not these large, um, you know, big name national politicians that are that are out chasing millions and billions of dollars that 
yeah. mayors, most of them, especially in smaller cities, are going to be more like people like you and me and um, more willing to make changes and, and be an advocate for you. So I would definitely suggest that. And any kind of community activism, you definitely, you know, you usually have organizations and groups in your community. You can go to them and get support. Um, that's, that's excellent. Now, yeah. Now, one of the situations that I was in, uh, I was in a, the, a metro station subway, you know, in Los Angeles, and there was someone who was yelling at another person, a woman, and the person they were yelling at was an Asian woman. And it all kind of happened quickly. And then, and I don't remember what happened after the yelling, if the train came and we all just kind of went our different ways. Um, but I, I, I and in Los Angeles, people yell at street signs and they'll yell at the birds and whatever else. So I didn't, didn't really, it took a second to figure out what was going on. And then I realized oh, this person that I think is yelling at this other person because they're Asian and this looks like, you know, Asian discrimination. Um, so had this continued, what I would have done is just walk up and pretend that I knew that person, you know, and say, oh, hi, how have you been? Give them a big hug and 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 then just walk away with them. I, I think uh, if a lot of people are going to be hesitant to take on a person who's being irate and loud and maybe violent. And we probably, you know, in a lot of cases shouldn't do that. You don't want to put yourself into harm's way. Um, if advocates for people start to also get beat up and, and killed, then that's just going to ruin it for advocates and we're not going to have them anymore. So what you want to do is just ignore the hateful person and engage with the person who is the victim and then show that you're very friendly to them, act like you know them and the person who is attacking them or, or might've been attacking them uh, will just usually just back down and not want to deal with that. They're not going to take on multiple people. And especially if you're somebody of a, of a different group than what they're hating against, then, uh, you know, that's that kind of allows you to be a, a separated individual that can step in and help. That is a, that's great advice. I had received some advice similar to that a couple of years ago that probably applies here. Um, but if you see police officers stopping and searching, um, you know, uh, anyone other than, um, you know, I would say like Caucasian people to stop and watch just any civilian stopping and watching could uh, stop a corrupt cop from doing anything illegal or causing any more harm to those people. And, uh, and I've done that for a couple of years now. And yeah, please don't look fondly at me stopping. And they always want to walk over and ask who I am. And you know, I show my credentials and they tend to do things a little different when they know I'm there. But I think that's some great advice. Stop and help the person, uh, you know, help them get out of there and, you know, safely. Yeah, so. at least just be a witness. And I think when people do get involved, a lot of times it really does help and it doesn't cause things to escalate. And I, I would love more people to get involved. And for me, it's pretty easy um, I'm 6'3", 210 pounds. So, you know, mostly where I go, people are not going to try to challenge me physically. So it allows me to break up fights and step in between things um, and not have to worry too much about myself. Mm -hmm. So I know that that's not the case for everybody. But, you know, if you can keep your distance, record with your phone, be a witness, 
I, that helps a lot. That's that's enormous. So I'm dying to find out how your story ended. Uh, was it a happy ending? What did you figure out? How did you get through what you went through? Uh, yeah, it, unfortunately, it has not ended. It's ongoing. It's been about five years now. Wow. Um, I ended up I would have stayed on my property because I'm not the type of person that likes to be told where I can and can't live. So, and I was well-armed and I have a big dog who is an amazing guard dog and a, an incredible protector. So I wasn't too worried, but I was, I was dealing with domestic terrorists. They were, you know, they burned down my house. There was another fire set on my property six months later. Um, and anytime I had anybody come to our property, they would have to park down at the end of the road at the, the county road. And then these neighbors would come and look over their car and take pictures. And then it's, you know, sometimes people had their tires deflated. So there was a lot of people ended up, I think they actually got directly threatened. And then at one point, um, a one family who was allowing me to park my truck at their house and walk into the property said that I could no longer do that. I'm pretty sure they got threatened. And so I was pretty much forced to leave then. I had nowhere to park my car, park my truck. So I, I just couldn't stay. And I was forced out. And that's kind of where things are now. I, I have a lawsuit going on. So hopefully that will um, yield something positive in the end, but it has not gone well. And the judge seems to be on the side of the criminals and has ignored the law that requires her to transfer the case out of that community, out of that, out of that County. So yeah, it's not a good situation. And uh, I'm just trying to keep fighting as much as I can. Good, good. Um, you're not alone. So we get tips almost daily from uh, people who are dealing with members of discriminatory uh, groups, which then would amount to uh, hate groups because people would join together in a community against others. And then that would go into radicalized extremism. And from there, it was getting pushed into uh, terrorist tactics. So um, you're not alone in it. Uh, I have also been a uh, survivor two and a half years now and ongoing of something called stochastic terrorist tactics. Uh, which is uh, the online uh, dehumanization of people and then the demonizing of them to make them appear like they're some evil entity. And uh, this gives the community with enough reposts every day for years, the opportunity to step up as lone wolves, you know, who's going to take out this evil entity in the community, you know? So it's one of the tactics that they use uh, in the new, you know, radicalized extremist playbooks, uh, which then pushes it into domestic terrorism. So stochastic terrorism is domestic terrorism. Yes. Yeah. And when people see that there's all this activity um, going online, then when they, they know that they'll, when they do something, they will be exalted within that community. People will look up to them and consider them to be a hero. Mm -hmm. And one other thing I wanted to bring up is like, if you're in the workplace or wherever you are and somebody makes a racist joke or something, um, just an easy way to try to, to knock that down is just to say, you know, jokes like that aren't going to be appreciated here. And, and, and that kind of tells the person without really being combative, it's like saying, look, no one's going to accept that type of language and you really got to, got to curb that stuff. 
And if we don't do things like that, if we allow jokes and humor to be spread around in that way, not only does it just make people feel uncomfortable, but it can reinforce some of these ideas and reinforce the idea that it's okay to have biases or to have discriminatory ideas. And it's really not okay. And we need to make that very, very clear. Right. Absolutely. All right. Do you have any other uh, advice you'd like to give to our audience today? Uh, well, I would just like to encourage everybody to be involved to which, to whatever degree they are capable. Um, be a, a, a witness, like you said, and try to support other people. One of the things that I've done since I'm not getting any support from the Department of Justice uh, about my situation is I created postcards and I hand them out to acquaintances that I have at the gym or people who, you know, work at the supermarket where I go and I know them, you know, I don't know them well. We've never hung out, but they're friendly when I talk to them. And I know that they know I'm a good person yeah. and that if they knew what happened to me, that they would be angry about it and that they would want to help. And so this postcard gives them an easy way to just sign their name at the bottom. Mm -hmm. They can write a little personal note on it if they want to. And then I've already got it stamped. They drop it in the mail and it goes to the Department of Justice. And now they've done something that's going to be hopefully really helpful uh, to me. And also you can connect with other people <clears throat> who have uh, had similar experiences. So I'm in California and I go on to Facebook a lot and look at the California Department of Justice website. And I'll make comments there about about things where they they talk about one thing they're doing it's like hey it's great that you're doing this but what about you know uh discrimination within policing yeah. and bring up those issues and you'll notice that there are going to be other people making those same comments and you can start to to form a group with them and support each other as well so that can be very helpful excellent excellent well, I do hope that we get some new laws in place that hold police officers accountable. Uh, most of them, like you say, are good police, but uh, with the new movements happening and the doctrine of trying to get people to move to the radicalized agendas, uh, we are concerned. So uh, last year, I did do a story about a city out in Illinois whose uh, police force had zero minorities on it. And some of the uh, recent officers that were sworn in within a couple of years being sworn in were uh, covered in uh, neo-Nazi, white supremacy tattoos and other things. And it's interesting to see their swearing pictures where they're clean cut and they don't have any of that to that. And you wonder how did they get there and then how can they really police people? And uh, we did expose one officer last year who was randomly stopping um, young women uh, leaving a Walmart parking lot. And uh, in one case, a woman lost custody of her kids because he slammed her when she got out of the car, injured her, uh, took her into the sheriff's department to put her in jail, told them um, that she was drunk because she was passed out. And they taste her five times, knelt on her neck, her back, her legs at the same time, stripped her down uh, because she was unconscious and never got her medical help. She sat in there for a long time. They said when they carried her out of the back of the sheriff's car, her hand touched one of the 
officer's collar. So they uh, put her under for assault, assault of a police officer and other charges. And we really hoped and prayed by making it public in the news that the state's attorney uh, would see it and all of our efforts and understand what had happened. And then we found out shortly after that, that the state's attorney is a part of that white supremacist movement, did nothing to circumvent uh, what had happened to this poor woman. And so we really are hoping for some reforms and some uh, some justice where people can at least list the officers uh, that are part of this or uh, have these views so that if other people run into them in their communities, they know to ask for a different officer if needed or uh, a captain or a chief uh, in different situations. So we'll hope for some of that in our future. Um, but I wanna thank you, Russ, for joining us today. If you wanna hold tight, I'll go ahead and wrap up and we'll talk after. Okay. And uh, for our audience, that wraps up our discussion today on resist extremism. Please visit our other topics on the IllinoisReporter.com. And thank you again to all the hard work by the Illinois political writers uh, and their investigative team for giving us information that we could use for today. And we'll see everybody next time.